My name is Kenny Jacoby. You're listening to the Emerald Podcast Network. Today is Saturday, December 9th. You're listening to the Daily Emerald End of the Term News Wrap-Up. I'm Alec Cowan, and I am the podcast editor for The Daily Emerald. And I'm Michael Tobin, a senior news reporter for The Emerald. So to first cover some news from just this past week, we had a story on a pedestrian that was hit by a car. But Michael, it turns out that she was more than just a student. Yes, she was. So last Monday, Portland rapper Wynn was hit by a car on 13th and Patterson. And according to Eugene police, she went to the hospital right after being hit for pain in her side. And luckily for her, the hospital was right by the scene of the accident. Frankie Benitez, our news editor, interviewed her and she said she has a concussion and some pretty bad bruises and was actually in an accident two weeks ago. Coincidentally, the driver who hit her lives in the same building as she does and Wynn said that the driver came and apologized to her. You can actually check out our next show December 23rd at the Doug Fur Lounge in an all-female hip-hop showcase. And so, Michael, just to transition, this was a pretty big term for news. We had some big stories, whether it be things like the night campus, students protesting, or federal senators getting involved in the university. So can you just give us some details on the big news stories this term? Sure. Let's start with the night campus. And there's actually a significant amount of money spent that went into this project. So the U.O. received a $500 million donation from Phil and Penny Knight in October 2016, as well as $50 million in state bonds to fund the project. The plans for the University of Oregon's new night campus for accelerated scientific impact were revealed to the public on October 27th, and the architect's plan includes two glass towers across Franklin Boulevard with a transparent sky bridge. Construction on the new campus begins in 2018 and is expected to open in 2020. The campus is expected to track acclaimed faculty to the university and create undergraduate and graduate research opportunities, so it's really going to be a great way to recruit some, uh, some more talent. Construction hasn't started yet, but the administration is already building a solid team to direct the night campus. On November 20th, UO assigned Robert Goldberg, a Georgia Tech professor and leader in scientific research, to be the executive director of the new school. Goldberg will um, start in September 2018. So he said in an interview with the Emerald that one of his primary interests has been trying to deal with the challenge of taking the exciting discoveries of what's in the labs and making sure it's getting out to the real world. So he was basically saying that um, because he believes that if you don't bring the research to the real world, it's not going to have an impact. So this next story isn't exactly a news story, but can you give us details on the updates in the sexual assault investigation involving UO basketball player Cavell Bigby Williams, which has seen a lot of press coverage from Emerald journalists as well as some coverage in Sports Illustrated? Yeah, so this has been a really big story, and it seems like every time it's petering out a little bit, there's always something new that comes out. So the story really starts in June when um, then-Emerald sports editor Kenny Jacoby wrote a story in the Emerald revealing that Cavell Bigby-Williams, who's a former Ducks basketball player, was under investigation for sexual assault. So Kenny, after leaving the Emerald, wrote a piece for Sports Illustrated, um, which detailed the university's failure to comply with its own policies in regard to investigating sexual assault. And his biggest point is that UO mishandled the case. After that, Oregon Democratic Senator Ron Wyden got involved and wrote a letter to UO President Michael Schill 
um, asking him questions in regard to um, Jacoby's article and was kind of critical of the way that the university was running things. And so what happened after Wyden sent the letter? So after Wyden sent the letter, there was about a week of waiting time where nobody knew what was happening. And then Schill released the university's response, which included a letter from him, answers to the questions, and then the university's 2016 Title IX report. So Shiel responded to Wyden's questions in a document that the UO released. It included a letter from Shiel, answers to the questions, as well as a 2016 Title IX report. And in Shiel's letter, he said that he would love to meet with Wyden and like discuss this, and he thinks that'd be pretty beneficial for the both of them. So Wyden responded to that and said that a goal would be to meet with President Shiel, and that meeting would be benefited by Brenda Tracy, who is an advocate for um, survivors of sexual assault. And as of right now, the meeting is still in the works of being planned. And then for our last large story of the year, one of the big timelines has, of course, been concerned with the UO Student Collective and their issues with the UO administration. So when did this conflict start? So back on October 6th, about 45 protesters stormed the stage at President Schill's State of the University speech. At least 13 of the students that protested would later be charged by the UO administration for violating the student conduct code, and those charges came on October 30th. And so why were students protesting? So the protesters went on stage, they interrupted President Schill's speech, and they basically accused Schill of pricing out students, and they called him CEO Schill. And they gave 22 demands, which ranged from having a Muslim prayer center in the EMU to um, not laying off faculty members and freezing tuition. And so then on October 23rd, President Michael Schill published an opinion piece in the New York Times titled A Misguided Crusade Against Fascism. And within this article, he discussed a lot of the issues that he had with the protest. Yes, and they were not happy about this, so this definitely escalated some tensions between um, the group and the administration. So then on October 30th, 13 students were notified by Katie Larkin, who is the UO Associate Director of Investigations, that students will have two options to resolve the charges against them. And the students were given the option of either accepting responsibility for protesting and meeting with the administration to discuss their concerns. And it's important to note that this option wouldn't have any sanctions or consequences, or they could contest the charges and have an administrative conference with what's called a decision maker, who would then determine if they were responsible for the charges in question. So while members of the Student Collective, or UOSC, Meet and discuss what to do next. The Emerald finds out that one student charged by the administration wasn't actually at the protest. So what happened with this student? Yeah, so Lola Lastenau, a graduate student from Argentina, said that she wasn't a member of the UOSC and was at home during the protest. She provided records of a Skype call that took place during the time of the protest, and based on the evidence she provided, she ends up having the charges against her dropped. And this is a really big development because... It shows that the university potentially was a little careless with charging students. And the reason she was charged was because she had listed herself as going on Facebook, but the night of the protest, she didn't actually attend. Right, yeah. And, I mean, a lot of people got these invitations to go to the protest. Like, I even got an invitation to go to the protest. So just because you can click and say you're going to something in the eyes of the administration 
meant that she was there. So then on November 6th, a letter is released that is signed by U.S. Senate President Chris Sinclair and three other leaders of prominent U.O. groups. And this letter asked President Schill to, quote, cease the punitive measures against students, unquote, and open a dialogue with them. It also lists seven problems with the email sent to students about their charges. Yeah. And then on November 9th, Charlie Landeros, who identifies with they them pronouns is and is a vocal member of the UOSC, is the first of the protesters to attend an administrative conference. On November 13th, they are found responsible for the first charge, which is disruption of the university. And this gives them two sanctions by UO, a letter of reprimand and a requirement that they write an essay explaining what they did wrong and what they learned. Landeros then appealed the decision. And so that brings us to November 15th, where members of the UOSC presented a resolution to the UO Senate, and they talk about their issues with the UO and the charges brought against them. That's right. And that brings us to a decision on November 29th, where the UO Senate split the UOSC's resolution into two parts. They approved the first section, which asked the Senate to support the UOSC members charged with violations. The second part proposes that the UO Senate urge the UO administration to deny hate groups and white supremacists a platform on campus. And this has not been voted on yet. And I think it's important to note here that this is the UO Faculty Senate taking a stand against President Schill and the administration who urged them uh, not to approve this. And the Emerald also reported that some members of the UOSC were denied representation for dealing with conduct code charges from the UO Office of Student Advocacy because of conflicts of interest. And so as of now, the majority of students charged with violations that chose the second of the two options they were given in the initial email are waiting to have administrative conferences to determine if they are responsible for committing the violations they were charged with. And you can read more about all these stories online at dailyemerald.com. That's all we have time for today. My name is Alec Cowan. And I'm Michael Tobin. And if you'd like to hear more from the Emerald Podcast Network, including podcasts on sports, arts and culture and opinion, you can subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and listen to these episodes right on the Emerald homepage at dailyemerald.com. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 